So we are going to somewhat conclude our sermon series on the times in life of Jesus. Uh, I'm saying that kind of tongue-in-cheek because I don't, you never really conclude that, right? But we've kind of been going through like a chronological um, study of Yeshua, Jesus' life, looking at the culture, the time to better understand what's going on. And of course, you know, we always kind of do that here. Uh, But I think we're going to step out of the chronology piece and kind of see what else the Lord is doing. And so the next piece of the chronology would be his death and resurrection. And I was looking at that and I said, you know, we, we actually, I mean, every Passover, every Easter, uh, we, we spend time in studying that. And I was like, you know, we've done this and many people have received teachings on the death and resurrection. Um, and so maybe, maybe we should go somewhere else. And I felt like the Lord was just saying um, that there's a story and there's a profound lesson that is actually built into his ascension, okay? And I'm like, wow, I never really heard too much of a teaching on the ascension of Jesus, right? It's always like birth, death, resurrection, awesome, he ascends, but like, what is the ascension? So I was like, all right, the Lord's on this, let's do it. So let's open up uh, Luke chapter 24, verse 50. It says, he, Jesus, led them out as far as Bethany. It's a very uh, important part here. So he takes them out all the way from Jerusalem as far as Bethany. And he lifted up his hands and blessed them. This is after his death and resurrection, right? He's seen by the disciples. So he's been here for 40 days after his resurrection. And now he's like saying goodbye again. All right. This is after he, they, they see the tomb that's empty. This is after Mary. This is after Thomas. This is after all this. He's been teaching them for 40 days. And now he's like really saying goodbye. All right, now I'm really going. Okay. And he takes them as far as the town of Bethany. And he, ble- he raises his hands and blesses them. Now it came to pass while he blessed them that he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And we're continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Amen, it says then. Let it be done. So, I'm looking over this, and uh, a couple questions uh, came to me. I think it's very important to ask questions in life. And when you're studying the Word, very important to ask questions. Sometimes, if you can believe it, the questions are even more important than the answers. Uh, what are these two questions that I really felt I was feeling from the Lord to prompt oh, in my spirit <clears throat> to go to Him? And the first one was, why a, need for, of, uh, why a need of an ascension? I mean, if the end of the ball game is that he is going to return to earth anyway, like, so like, why don't you just cut that out? You know, like, hey man, you did it. I mean, it is, fi- it is finished. Right. So I just hang out and, you know, do your thing, because you're going to do that anyway. I mean, why, why, like, why are you cutting out, you know, we could just cut that out and get to the chase, you know what I mean? Like, just, or cut out the chase, get to whatever the saying is, right? So why, why is there a need? Of course there's a need, right? There's always, there's, there's always importance in things. And then secondly, why from the town of Bethany? I mean, like, like there's so many places. Jerusalem, the Galilee, the Mount of Transfiguration, Masada, like where there's, like, there's these awesome crazy ruins. I mean, the Dead Sea. I mean, I mean, you're picking all these places and you pick this town called Bethany. 
So, you know, question one, why I need an ascension? You know, as I was kind of getting to, there are all these different holidays that we as believers celebrate, right? I mean, the birth, the death and resurrection, the falling of the Holy Ghost in the book of Acts. And it's like, there's no celebration for his ascension, you know? Uh, but that's, that wasn't always the case. I was actually doing some research. It turns out the early church, yeah, they, they, they had an ascension celebration, even certain denominations, Do they really? That's awesome. That's awesome. So the Amish are like keeping it real. Yeah, so there are certain denominations that still have a feast or celebration of Ascension. Happens uh, 40 days after Resurrection Sunday or Easter. And this year it will be May 30th, 2019. So I don't know. We'll, maybe, maybe we'll do something. We'll, we'll see how the Holy Spirit leads. But I'm like, wow, like the people in the past did it. Other denominations do it. A lot of the, uh, it seems like, anyone have like growing up in an evangelical kind of circle, like ever do Ascension Sunday? Anyone? All right. You, you guys there? Yeah. Did you? Cool. Yeah, I mean, obviously we're of a, a, a little different generation, right? But I, I never did, you know. Cool. Which probably, yeah, probably really means like who you're, who you're running with, right? Who's doing it. Well, whatever the case would be, it was done and it's still being done. And so the one question is why the need. And the second question, of course, is the why from the town of Bethany. So let's, uh, let's get into the answer in the first question. The, uh, the ascension question. So what we see here in the, in, the, in the ending of Luke is that Luke, the writer of Luke, obviously, finds it so tremendously important, the Lord's ascension, that he actually ends his work, his book, his narrative of Jesus with that event. That is really important. It's the end of the book. He leads it off with the ascension. I mean, he could have, he could have, could have like, went, like told us like what happened a couple days after, uh, or even 40 days after, but he le- leaves us with that event. And what's also interesting is that Luke writes another book in the Bible, not just the Gospel of Luke, but he also writes the book of Acts. Okay? And in the book of Acts, Luke begins the book of Acts with Jesus' ascension. So for Luke, it's kind of an important thing. He ends his first work with the ascension, and he begins his second work with said ascension. There's something going on here, and this is what's going on here. The ascension is the hinge to the story. The Gospels, the resurrection... It all leads to the ascension. And what is the ascension? The ascension leads to the coming of the Holy Spirit that empowers the gospel. Like, you need an ascension for these things to happen. An empowerment of the gospel. The coming of the Holy Ghost. So this is a hinge to the story, and it's so much of a hinge that he chooses to close one book with it and begin another book with it. And so, all right, you know, why does Jesus actually have to ascend? Well, there's, there's a couple things here. Acts chapter 1, verse 1 says this, The former account I made, this is Luke speaking, The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up after he through the Holy Spirit had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen. What we have here is, it says that Jesus began through his resurrection, 
It's Luke is saying that in the process of his ascension, Jesus began something. It doesn't say Jesus ended something, and now I'm going to talk about the, the acts of the Holy Spirit with the apostles. He's saying that when Jesus was resurrected and in the process of his ascension, he began a work. So he begins a work in all of this. And what does that mean? That means that after Jesus rises from the dead, even though he said it was finished on the cross, even though he rises from the dead and he's ascending into heavenly places, his work is not finished. Like, there's more to do. Okay, well, what does he have to do? Well, in Luke chapter 24, it says that he has to now go and send the Holy Spirit. And it's like, and I know I've taught on this before, so I'm going to do it a little, like, a little quicker, but, you know, so many people want Jesus to come right now and be in our midst. And it's like, dude, if you did that, you would have what the disciples had. Like, Jesus was in their midst. But Jesus says, no, you actually don't want me here. But it's funny, because we all ask that we want him here. Like, Jesus being our mission in worship. If we get that, we get, what the, we get what the disciples had even after the resurrection story. He's like, no, you don't want me here because if I'm here, I can't complete the work. I need to go to heaven because I'm going to send a comforter to you. The Holy Spirit to you. So why does he have to ascend? Because he needs to go and release the Holy Ghost. But so many of us like, are wanting Jesus to remain. But he goes to heavenly places to release the Holy Ghost. Pretty phenomenal, actually. Another reason why he ascends. It says in John chapter 16 uh, that he needs to return to the Father. Now just think about this for a moment, right? You're, you're, in the, you're part of the Godhead, right? You're from the beginning of time and you're everlasting. You're in the fullness of the embodiment of God in the flesh. And you spent all of eternity hanging out with your dad. And now your dad's like, yo, you got to go down there. And now you have to physically, maybe not spiritually, but physically be separated from him for 33 years. And the last three years, you're ultimately separated because you're in hell. Whereas the absence of the presence of God, the full maturity of the embodiment of sin... It's like, whoa, man, like, he's probably like, I want my dad. I want my dad. I miss my Abba. My daddy. Like, we've been hanging out literally forever. And now I had to leave? I want to go back. I know the father is probably like, get up here, son, I miss you too. Like, God can miss you. It's a beautiful thing. Another reason why he has to ascend. He has to ascend because Acts chapter 7, Daniel chapter 7, and pretty much the whole book of Revelation talks about how he is enthroned. So he's going back to the place of the throne room of God and he's enthroned, enthroned in all glory, in all power, in all might, in all holiness. He's receiving worship. Like heavenly worship, not like earthly worship. But the courts of heaven are worshiping him. So he's got to go back. So he needs to go back because he needs to continue the work. What is the continuing work? The sending of the Holy Spirit. There's a piece of just normal beauty, love there that he needs to return to the Father because he misses his daddy and his daddy misses him. And he needs to go because he's going to be enthroned and worshipped. 
in heavenly places. And then, of course, there's another reason. He now becomes, continuing the work, he now becomes the heavenly mediator, right? He ascends and he's sitting on the right-hand throne of the Father. And he's interceding for the saints. Like, I don't want to get all dogmatic and pop your bubbles, but like Jesus is not here. And he's not here until his return. When we're like, come Jesus, come Jesus, you're really prophetically asking for a future act. When you feel the presence of God, it's kind of tough for some of us to handle. It's not Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit. Right now, okay, there's three in one and all that kind of crazy stuff, but like Jesus is coming one day in the future, but the, pre- the, the presence is, is, is the Holy Spirit. So what we're getting at here is this. The ascension is the fulfillment of defeating both sin and death. Because death has no sting. And Jesus took on sin and he was resurrected. That's awesome. And he defeats the power of death. You know, get get this now. The resurrection defeats the power of death. The Lord, I just feel like it's it's coming to me now. But the ascension defeats, in, in some regards, the power of sin. You get what I'm saying? Like, when he's in hell, he's confronting the hold of death, and he's able to get out of that. But now sin, right? Sin separates us from God. But now, since he's, he, he's able to ascend, he now defeats also the power of sin. Now, I don't want to be, like, so dogmatic about maybe going to hell is really defeating the powers of sin and death. I don't know, but I think there's something to that. You go to hell, the place where death has its hold. You remove yourself from that. But God is separated by, we're separated by God by sin. But now Jesus ascends now defeating the work of sin ultimately. Getting out of hell defeats it in part. But now ascending to the final place of enthronement of worship is the ultimate expression of the defeating of sin and death. You know what I'm saying? It's like another level. So this uh, raises uh, this question now, uh, kind of where I really want to put the, the really the meat and potatoes into the sermon, and that is why Bethany, like why this town? And so I was pretty excited that I found this on YouTube. I got to figure out how to do it myself, but I found it on YouTube. If we can switch over to the, the, the computer, check this out. Really pay attention because I was really excited about this. Here we go. You can hit play. There's Jerusalem. There's Bethany. Mount of Olives. Eastern view. Zooming on Jerusalem. Then we spin around. And there we go. I don't know, it's pretty cool. Can you do that again? Yeah, sure. It's pretty neat, isn't it? Yeah, I like it. Can you hit play again? We're just gonna we want to check it out again. Jerusalem, the Dead Sea. So Bethany is east of Jerusalem. It's on the ridge of the Mount of Olives. There is gazing westward towards the holy city of Mount Zion, Jerusalem. It's going to zoom into Jerusalem, and now it's going to spin around and look east. Jerusalem, Mount of Olives, and then what you can't see over that ridge, because it's hard to see with the font, is, is Bethany. Uh, Bethlehem is a little is is further south. This is more of an eastern gaze, but Bethlehem will be a little further south, I believe. Cool. So let me just um. So there it is. So you can see a little better. So 
you got <clears throat> Jerusalem, the Mount of Olives, and then Bethany on the other side of a mountain called the Mount of Olives. Okay? So you just kind of see the perspective right there, and you're like, all right, why does he choose this place? Because there's so many places he could have chosen. So there's a, very, a couple interesting things here. Number one, according to Jewish law, the unclean, the defiled things, cannot be in the city. In modern mileage, it would have to be about 1.5 miles outside of the city. Bethany is two miles outside of the city. All defiled things need to be outside of the city for cleanliness laws. Bethany, people are trying to figure out what the name is. No one really knows what it is. It's a place where Jesus cursed some figs. Some people think it might be like a fig, meaning fig tree, but it's Beit, which is house. Ani or Ana is poor, poverty. So like the people who are really plugged into the language are like, oh, this is the house of sorrow, the house of poverty. The actual town itself is known as the house of sorrows, the house of poverty. It is the town of defilement of the impure, right outside of the city. It's as close as the holy city of Jerusalem one can be if he or she is unclean. And now you take a look at the scriptures and you say, well, what else happened in Bethany, Dave? Well, interesting. This is the place of Lazarus' tomb. He's dead. He's in a tomb. Why is he dead in a tomb? He can't be in the city limits because it's death. He's out of the city limits. He's in the tomb. And Jesus comes to the village, the house of sorrows and poverty. And there they were begging him to pray to receive Lazarus from the dead. And in the place of sorrows, the Bethany place, he speaks to death and says, arise. Yes. Yes. Bethany place. So good. Simon the leper. Simon the leper lives there. He's got a house. And it's in the house that Mary is crying and cleaning his feet and all that good stuff, Jesus. But Simon the leper lives there. Because he's a leper, he can't be in the city. He has to live in the defiled place. And Simon the leper is no longer Simon the leper because Jesus heals him. So we have the healing of disease and mockery by the establishment. Because when you have a disease back then, you don't just have a disease. It's something you've done. You've sinned. Death at a young age. It's like, oh, what did you do? How did you piss off God? And in that place of sorrow, the town that is dedicated to such things, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead for the glorification of the Father. He cleanses leopards for the glorification of the Father. It's so profound. But there's even more to it than that. Oh, look at that. I had that cool little graphic there and I didn't even do it. There you go. Cool graphic. So, I know the font's a little hard, but to the left is Jerusalem, written in white. That red dot right there is, is Bethany, modern day Bethany. So, what we have here, as I was telling you before, you have Jerusalem. There's a very important valley right there, which we probably should do a lesson on some point. Then you have the Mount of Olives. Yeah. And then on, technically, on the, it's on the Mount of Olive chain, which for us is like hills, but 
on that chain is Bethany. It's on the southeastern portion of the Mount of Olives. Okay? But what happens here is something also tremendously profound. Essentially, geographically, that line right there is a pretty important line. What do you guys think that line might be that I put in there? Uh, it's kind of like that. It's kind of like that. I'm getting a little bit more, like, maybe a little bit more practical than spiritual, but then we can build the spiritual out of the practical. The yeah, good. It's the desert. So, essentially what happens here is this. You can kind of tell with, with, with I mean, Jerusalem is a city, right? So, it's, it's got all that, that concrete, but it's this, guys. Bethany is the first village into the desert. And it's the fir- first village out of the desert to Jerusalem. Wow. Essentially, it's what it is. Now, there's other towns and stuff, but Bethany is right on the edge of the desert place and the place of Zion, the place of the habitation of the king, the place of worship. It's right on that edge. And so someone living in Bethany, if they're not unclean, they have a choice to make. Do you go to the place of desert? Do you remain in the place of sorrow? Or do you go to the holy mountain and worship the king? There's the line. First place out of the city, first place into the city. Into a desert place. Arid. No water. No living waters. A tough place. The desert place, Bidmidbar, the wilderness, the place where God speaks, in fact. It's all right there. Now, all of this, 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 and it's unbelievable, right? This is the place of his, his ascension. Where he chooses to ascend to heavenly places. From this town, the place of the impure, the place of the defiled, the place of sorrow, Bethany. Like, he's choosing that spot. Now, these people that are living there, that have leprosy, that are sick, that are dying, that are the place of sorrow, the place of poverty, they had hope. Like, they could live anywhere. They could have picked a mile and a half in the other direction and lived there. But they took a mile and a half direction to live there. Now, why is that? Because it's a part of the Mount of Olives. And they knew what the prophet said. The prophet said that when the Messiah would come, he would descend from the clouds and he would place his feet on the Mount of Olives. So what are these ragtag, poor, impure, defiled, helpless, hopeless people? They're not hopeless. They have hope. They choose to settle in the place where the Mashiach, the Messiah, the anointed would would descend one day. They're not hopeless. They have leprosy. They're sick. But in some way, I believe in my spirit that they, they, they had to have chosen Mount of Olives of all places. Because they're like, I'm sick. I'm poor. I'm hungry. But any day now, I look up to the clouds and this is the place where he's going to send. Woo! This is it, man. It's in your place of sorrow. It's in your desert place. It's in your Bethany. Where he's able to descend. And he's able to ascend. 
But where are you placing your tent peg? In the desert? Or right on that place where I say, all right, even though the people don't want me because they think I'm unclean and they think I have sin, I am not going to be hopeless. I'm putting my place on the Mount of Olives in the place of Bethany to receive him. Come on. Because I think they got it. And it's this in the story. Bethany is the gateway to his glorification. Your place of sorrow can be the place of his ascension. The place of his glory. Yes. There's never a great move of God in the Bible unless things are bad. Like, like things have to be bad and then God shows up. Because if things are good and God shows up, what does man say? Oh, we did it. Come on. You, you gotta, like, when you're down in the deep Bethany sorrowful place and you got leprosy and there's no way out, God does something. No man can boast. But it's a perspective thing. When you're in that place of sorrow, what's your perspective like? I'm here in this place. And he's going to dwell in it. And he's going to ascend heavenly places from it. But here's the thing. He wants to ascend in the place of Bethany. But will you allow him to ascend? Will you allow him to ascend in your place of sorrow and difficulty and hardship? Yes. Not everyone in the Bible did this. John chapter 20, verse 15. Jesus said to her, Mary, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. This is, this is Mary at the tomb. She doesn't even recognize him. Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say, My teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father and to my God and your God. Mary, I've just been resurrected. I'm going to ascend to my Father, but don't cling to me. Now, I've always been taught a traditional view of this. Like, why would Jesus say to Mary, you can't, you can't touch me? And the viewer says, well, he hasn't received full glorification in heaven, la 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 blah, 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 sounds good. Sounds good. It's not the truth. Because just a couple of verses later, Jesus sees Thomas. And Thomas is like, I don't believe it's you. And what does Jesus say to Thomas? Touch me. Touch me. Put your fingers in the wounds. Yeah. Come on, it's good. So we're like, all right, so Mary... Oh, you know, he has to be glorified in, in the heavenly places. Well, that's great if you read that story. But if you read Thomas, it doesn't make any sense. He's like, no, touch me. So how do we rectify this? What the thing here is, the Greek right here is, you don't even have to get in the Greek. You see it in English. But it's Mary, he says, Mary, don't cling to me. That's different than touching. Clinging is holding back. 
I need to ascend. Do not hold me back, Mary. Come on, that's good. So this is the story, guys. We as believers, when we're residing in the Bethany place, do you hold on to him and disallow him to ascend in your circumstance? You gotta let him ascend in your circumstance. You can't cling and hold him back. You need to allow him to ascend into heavenly places. Because if Mary holds him back in Bethany, in the place of sorrow, although she's not in Bethany, but in, in a symbolic way, then he does not ascend. If he does not ascend, Jesus does not receive his full glory. So the question is here, do you keep Jesus in your Bethany place? Or do you allow him to ascend to the place of glory through your hardship? Good there. So, good. so many of us just want to cling and keep him. You're like, oh, it, it's Jesus, so isn't that like a nice thing? Like we want to keep him? It's, 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 it's not like keeping his presence here. It's disallowing him to be glorified in your circumstance. That's what it is. That's so good. So, all right. So, what is ascension anyway? Is it hot in here or am I just like going for it? You're Puerto Rican, oh man. I'm German, you're Puerto Rican. I'm like sweating. I want to wear shorts right now. We're getting there. We're going to get there. I think. Yeah, I, I, let me... Yeah, but it's a good question, and I, I, think, I think we will. I think we will. <clears throat> yeah, so I mean, one, one kind of simple caveat way, right? Like, so, allowing him to ascend in your circumstances would be not focusing on the problem, right? But using the place of the problem to cause him to ascend, to place him in a place of glorification by worshiping him. So not setting your eyes on the sorrow, but setting your eyes on he who sits in the throne and giving him worship, and giving him thanks, and doing all that stuff, and then the leprosy is going to go. There's going to be a resurrection from the dead, right? When you set your gaze on him. Thanks, Michelle. Thanks. So what is this ascension? It's allowing Jesus to be Lord over your sorrow, which I was just talking about, right? Like, Lord, I'm in a bad place. But I'm going to be hopeful. I want to make my bed on the Mount of Olives, the place where you ascend and descend. It's Jacob's ladder, right? I mean, it's a place of ascension and descension. I want to set my eyes on you. I'm going to worship you in this place. In your difficulty, allow him to ascend to a place of being worshipped. If you allow him to ascend, he will bring a resurrection to your story. If you have the worship team, come on down, please. Or maybe just Mario, whoever's going to be doing it. Oh, he's outside with the baby, so we'll hold up. Why don't we just have Mario come on down? <clears throat> so what is this ascension? It's allowing Jesus to be Lord over your difficulty. So many of us, want to, we want to give so much attention to the sorrow that the sorrow and the difficulty and the hard place and the sin becomes the Lord itself. <clears throat> right? We, we put so much focus on the problem, the problem becomes the God. So we got to put our focus on God, and then the problem is submitted to God. So, you know, I know I do. I go through things, but you got you to place your mind in heavenly places, thinking about those things which are pure, those things which are holy, those things which are righteous. 
We give thanksgiving unto Him. We give Him praise, which is the highway to the throne room of God. We utter thanksgiving. When we make our prayers known unto God, as it says in Philippians, right? We don't kvetch. We don't complain. We, we give Him thanks. We give Him thanks. So, <clears throat> the resurrection and ascension testify to the completeness and really the perfection of His work. The defeat of death and the defeat of sin. Jesus taking the place of worship and honor. Enthroned in, in heavenly places where <clears throat> He's a mediator for you. <clears throat> interceding on your behalf. I mean, that's like so much more profound than Jesus here. Jesus there, in a way, is more powerful than Jesus here. Don't cast stones at me until you hear the full message. Part of the completeness and perfection of his work is for you to be able to ascend too. Ascend as well. You see, too many of us choose to live in the dust of Bethany. Where Jesus is saying, I've made you pure and I've raised you from the dead to ascend to heavenly places. You can ascend with him. The completeness and perfection of his work is in part a life abundantly, which is a sense of, of spiritually your soul, man, ascending to heavenly places. And what is this ascension of being molded into heavenly places or being sent to heavenly places? It's being molded into the image of God. It's engaging in worship and praise and saying, Lord, my body's here, but my soul has ascended into the throne room of God as I worship you. He inhabits the praises of his people. Part of the inhabitation of the praises of, of his people is our minds, our, our, our souls, our, our ascend into heavenly places where he is. Yes. Part of the completion and perfection of this work is saying goodbye to your earthly sorrow and your earthly sin. Simon and Lazarus did not be healed and be raised from the dead to sit in Bethany. They no longer sat in the place of sorrow. You know they like booked it down the mountain to get to Mount Zion to give worship to the Lord. We can't reside and stay in the sorrowful, sinful place. We need to ascend into the place of worship. The throne room of God. But it's also you ascending as a being. Jesus did not just save you so you just get into heaven. He saved you so you can be molded into His glory and molded by His glory. You are the righteousness of God. It's the process of sanctification, man. And it's such a beautiful, awesome thing. That's ascension. But we remain, you know, we're, we're here on earth. James says, your life is but a vapor. Here today, gone tomorrow. Her first reading, I'd be like, that's really pessimistic. It is pessimistic. 
until you ask yet another question. What is a vapor? If life is a vapor, what is a vapor? So I've been reading a book uh, by a, uh, a Jewish writer from the 1960s. His name is Chaim Pultik. He wrote a book called The Chosen and also The Promise. And The Chosen, I'm halfway done The Promise, but The Chosen, which I finished up, I, I, I literally began it in the morning and I did not stop until I was done. Just pulled me in. And it's a story, a story about an ultra-Orthodox community in Brooklyn, New York, right at the end of World War II. There's a boy and his dad. The, boy, the dad is a, is a rabbi. The, the boy is studying. And they have this conversation, because the, the, the father is like so enraptured that news comes out about the Holocaust. Talk about life being a vapor. What just happened? And it's like a oomph that falls on top of the whole Orthodox religious community. And the little boy is like, what, what, life? Life is a vapor? And what, what's going on? And this, this teenage boy goes to his dad and is like, Dad, what is this all about? And the father, in a very rabbinical way, goes to his son and has this really beautiful, quick little narrative. Remember, life is a vapor. Here today, gone tomorrow. But the question is, what is a vapor? This is the Father speaking. Human beings do not live forever, Reuben. We live less than it takes to blink an eye if we measure our lives against eternity. I learned a long time ago, Reuben, that a blink of an eye in itself is nothing, but the eye that blinks, that, that is something. A span of life is nothing, but the man who lives that span, he is something. He cannot fill that tiny span with meaning. So its quality is immeasurable, though its quantity may be insignificant. You can do that. You can fill that tiny vapor of life with complete insignificance. It's such a small quantity of life. But what quality do you give to the vapor? After six million Jews in, a, in the Holocaust, they die. The, 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 the Jewish community is thinking, like, what is life? Son, do you understand what I am saying? A man must fill his life with meaning. Meaning is not automatically given to life. Life is but a vapor. Here today, gone tomorrow. The book of Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes says, from dust, we are made, from, from dust we are made and to dust we are going. But let me tell you something. I am not dust yet. Too many of us think you're still dust. No, my body goes to dust, but my soul ascends to heavenly places. And I may have just a vapor, but how sweet of a vapor it is. Ecclesiastes 12.7, that's probably what should be read at funerals. Not Ecclesiastes 3.20, from dust I made, and to dust I return. My goodness. And then, Born again, people, our life is but a vapor, here today, gone tomorrow. What? Ecclesiastes 12, 7, dust returns to the earth, but the spirit, the soul, returns to God who gave it. This is a shell, and inside of the shell is a spark. 
And that spark can grow into anything. It can grow into addiction, it can grow into lust, it can grow into ego, or it can grow into the image of God. Our souls are eternal. Do not stay in the dust of Bethany, people. Ascend now to heavenly places. My soul is from heavenly places and is going to return to heavenly places. And I believe it has the ability to ascend now to heavenly places. But you do that when you don't hold the resurrection back, when you don't hold the ascension of Jesus back. You cannot ascend until Jesus ascends in your life. Your ascension into heavenly places right now, I mean right now, not when you die, I mean right stinking now in your spirit and soul, is dependent upon how much you allow him to ascend. So how did Jesus ascend? He died to the flesh. (gasps) He died to the flesh. That's bad. That's tough, man. But here's the thing. He doesn't stop there. You're like, he doesn't stop there. He dies to the flesh. And where does he go after he dies? Hell. Oh, you're not going to like this. I get it. I get it. You're not going to like it. You can fire me. It's all good. Jesus died to the flesh. But after he dies to the flesh, he descends before he ascends. Wow. And he descends into hell for three days. And what is hell? It is the confrontation of sin and sorrow. Yeah. Now, now oh, you're not, you're not going to like this. Christians, Western Christians don't like this. To ascend, you must die to the flesh. And even probably more importantly, you need to descend into the place of meeting your sin face to face. You look at it and say, oh, I'm meeting you right here. Jesus met sin. You need to confront the sins of your life, the sorrows of your life, and look at it and stare it down and say, my life is a vapor, you sin." I know I'm from dust and my body's going back to dust. But my life, my soul was purchased by the blood of Jesus. Sin, get behind me now. Now. I'm ascending. I'm not staying in Bethany. Addiction, go now. Now go. Negative thoughts, go now. You have no place. I do not reside in Bethany. I ascend to high places, Mount Zion, going up the hill of the Lord in worship and praise. But you can't do that. You can't until you stare that bugger down. And you say, no. And you know what? Now let's be real. If you have a nicotine addiction, it will take 72 days. Ironically, three days of hell. I know, I've been there. Three days of hell, a flu-like symptom of anxiety, of tension, of all this stuff. How interesting is it that the sin of dependency on nicotine is the same amount of time that Jesus was in hell? Wow. Like, yo, we can just confront your sin. Confront it. No, when you confront it, it's going to be like warfare now. There's going to be difficulty. There's going to be hardship. You have cold sweats at night. If you're kicking nicotine, you sweating, turning into sleep. Waking up in the middle of the night, your bed's all wet. It's a war because it's hell. 
But that's a place of meaning. Unbelievable. Confrontation of those things is the place of meaning. (laughs) To be ascended into heavenly places. Now people cling to their Bethany. They cling to it. Believing it is better than confronting the flesh. I get get it. Confronting sin is hard. And you bring Jesus alongside of you and some people just, oh, the sin's gone. I never have those inclinations anymore to be a bad, evil person. That's great. It doesn't work all the way. It doesn't always work that way for people. It doesn't work that way for me. So, oh, I got to go into the belly of the abyss. I got to go into the whale of Jonah again. And I got to confront and I got to deal and I got to be in that place of Bethany. But it's in that place the Lord ascends when we cast our eyes on him. Now it's cool. I've accepted Jesus into my heart as Lord and Savior. I've been born again and baptized. Awesome. Praise God. Praise God. And I don't say that lightly. If you don't confront the sorrow, the sins of your life, and allow the Lord to ascend and giving Him worship during that time of difficulty. It's fine. You'll still go to heaven. You're still going to go. Don't worry. You're going. You're going. But now? But right now? I mean, right now? Your soul does not ascend to heavenly places. You're going to heaven. Don't worry. You're going to heaven. But the call of the gospel of Jesus Christ is even more than that. It's heaven, but kingdom of heaven now. It's knowing his love, experiencing his peace, being molded into the image so that your vapor and the blink of the eye of your life has meaning. So Lord, we come before you and I shared my heart of the Bethany place that I've been in before. But Father, I pray as I pray during worship that right now there would be a spirit of the perfect law of liberty and life abundance would fall right now. No matter where we're at with the Lord, no matter where we're at with you, we know it's not a race, we know it's not a striving mentality, but we do know that we get to be molded more into your likeness, to make made manifest to the sons of Adam who you are. And so Father, I pray, I pray for the, the people in here who've been hanging out in the Bethany place too long. Lord, I pray that there's the hope of the Mount of Olives. The mountain that overlooks and sees into Zion. The mountain where you have ascended from and you will descend to. The place on the border between the green and the place of desert. Lord, in the place of sorrow, Father, we pray right now that that people could cast their eyes on you right now. That there would be a desire to confront the things in their life that just need to go. 
Not out of this condemnation and how dare you sin mentality, but out of a desire of saying, Lord, I want to ascend to heavenly places. And how does it occur? When we cast our eyes on Him, in the midst of our sorrow, we choose, it's a choice, we choose to give Him praise, to give Him honor, to make the kingdom a priority. Amen? Why don't we stand up? We're just going to close out service now with Mario playing on the piano. I want to invite Josh down. I want to invite uh, Eileen and Eric down. I want to invite my wife down. I want to invite Jose and Dana to come on down. It's a lot of people to pray. If this stirred something in you right now, don't be ashamed. The pastor here just said that he has had struggles in the past. And I have other struggles now. Just come on down. We want to just release this, this message over you. To cast your eyes, not on the place of sorrow, but on the place of the habitation of the king. We want to just stand by you as you may have to go through a period of, let's just call it what it is, a period of hell. To break that thing. To break that thing in your life. And maybe, hey, just maybe, the Lord is just going to deliver you right now. And that's awesome. Or maybe he's not. And you're going to have to walk it out. And that's awesome too. Because when you're there, where you're in that place, you're training yourself to cast your eyes on him. Amen?